The scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, has a ministry to college campuses called Reformed University Fellowship. And it is really a treat for us today to hear from the campus minister for RUF, um, Matt Terrell, who has worked at New York University at NYU for six years. It is a particularly important ministry. As a, and I can tell you as a college professor, I see it all the time that college students are in that liminal period where they are judging what they have received and judging what they're going to be going forward. And there is no more crucial time to have someone loving you and speaking the truth of God into your life. And so we are grateful, Matt, for your ministry and we're grateful that you are going to come and share the truth of God with us today. May he bless you. Thank you and good morning. It's good to be with you all. Um, it's a privilege to be here worshiping. My family is here as well, um, so thank you for that warm welcome. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us, but if you will indulge me before I do that, I would like to read us a poem. I really like poetry, and I think this poem is going to help sort of prime our imaginations to consider the two parables that we just heard from Jesus. Um, this is a poem by an American poet by the name of George Bill Gare, and it's simply called Horseplay. He writes this, I am floating in the public pool, an older guy who has achieved much, including tenure, a child, and health insurance, including dental. I have a Premier Rewards gold card from American Express, and my car is large. I have traveled to Iceland. In addition, I once met Toni Morrison at a book signing and made some remarks that she found extremely interesting. And last month, I was the subject of a local news story called Recyclers, Neighbors Who Care. In short, I am not someone you would take lightly. But when I begin to playfully splash my wife, the teenage lifeguard raises her megaphone and calls down from her throne, no horseplay in the pool. And suddenly I am 12 again. A pale worm at the feet of a blonde and suntanned goddess. And I just wish 
my mom would come pick me up. Now, here is a man who has made something of his life. He matters. He is not to be taken lightly. And then in an instant, all of that disappears. So let me pray for us briefly, and then we will dive in to these parables. Father, we thank you that you know when we sit and when we rise before a word is on our tongues, you know it. You are closer to us than we are to ourselves. So as we give your, our attention to your word this morning, we ask that you would meet us. Meet us with abundant grace. In Christ we pray these things. Amen. So if you're an outline person, here's where we're headed this morning. We're going to look at three aspects of these parables. We're going to look at the pattern, the party, lastly and briefly, what is the point? The plot line of both of these stories, the pattern is that something is lost, and then that something is found. Very simple. Something is lost, and then it's found. So what is it that's lost? Well, the first thing in this first parable, the thing that's lost is a sheep. If you've been around Christianity for a little while, you may have heard a pastor like me stand up and say something about sheep, talk about how sheep are dumb. And the reason that pastors like me stand up and say things like sheep are dumb is because sheep are actually not smart. They are unintelligent creatures. They will eat anything that's green, even if it's poisonous. They will wander off a cliff. If a sheep gets lost, it doesn't have a sense of direction. It's not like your, your friendly neighborhood dog or cat. It can't find its way home. A sheep will just wander endlessly. It cannot find its way home if it gets lost. If it doesn't realize it's, it's lost, sometimes it'll just lay down in the dirt. And this particular sheep in this particular passage is so weak, it can't even walk itself home once the shepherd finds it. The shepherd has to pick it up and carry it back to the flock. That's a sheep. It's completely helpless. So that's the first thing. The second thing that's lost is a coin. Now, I'm going to state the obvious here, but a coin is an inanimate object. It also cannot find its way home. It is also helpless. There is no find your iPhone for a coin in the ancient world. Once it's lost, it's just lost. It can't find its way home. And Jesus, in, in both of these things, is saying something really important. He's saying that part of what it means to be human is to be lost. Part of what it means to be human is to be lost, to be helpless and unable to find our way home. And by lost and helpless, I don't mean um, helpless in that like cute Instagrammable way. If you're on Instagram or you have children on Instagram, there's this way of speaking about ourselves on social media. It's kind of like, oh, I'm such a mess. But that, that's not really what Jesus is talking about. In her most recent, recent book, author Tish Harrison Warren, she puts it this way. She says, it's a trend now to meticulously display imperfection online. Messiness can be part of our personal brand. We don't like people who seem too put together, so many Christian leaders are sure to go out of their way to show us how messy they are, but it's all so very curated. Our truest weaknesses will never be a selling point. The things that are really wrong with us are embarrassing and uncomfortable. We are truly a mess, and not in a cute way, but in a sad and often humiliating way. I think she nails it. 
And I think actually Jesus, this is what he is inviting us to admit about ourselves, that we are lost in an embarrassing and kind of humiliating way. That there is a lot of sin and ugliness underneath the surface that threatens to, to run our lives for us. Many of us have this unquenchable need for comfort and for pleasure. And what that does is it turns everyone else around us into one of two things. It turns other people either into an object because we see them as possibly being able to enhance our comfort and pleasure, and so therefore they are desirable, or um, they are an obstacle. We see them as getting in the way of our comfort and pleasure, and so we treat them as discardable. Some of us have a, have a rage that just simmers underneath the surface, and it threatens to overtake all of our interactions, especially when things are not going the way that we want them to go. Some of us have this almost crippling insecurity. Sometimes it's referred to as the imposter syndrome, that fear that at any moment the people around us are going to discover that we are not as funny or smart or cool or good as we are pretending to be. And, and so... And what this really is, this is actually like a deep selfishness that wants to make everyone else orbit around our need for affirmation. And when it comes to actually changing these things about ourselves, we are sheep lost in the wilderness. We are coins kicked under the table. We are helpless. We're lost. So, what happens to the sheep and to the coin? Well, very simply, someone chases after them and finds them. Someone chases after them and finds them. The woman, in verse 8, she figures out that she's lost her coin. She lights the lamp. She sweeps the house. She seeks diligently. And Jesus' hearers would have understood that the reason she's sweeping, she's down in the dirt, she's down in the mess is because she's, she's quite poor, and she probably lives in what basically amounts to the cellar of the house, and she shares that space with animals. And if you lose a coin in that space, the floor is dirt, and it just kind of gets covered up by the dirt, and you really can't find it. And so you've got to actually like get down into the mess and sweep around and rummage around in the dirt to find the coin, and that's what she's doing. She has to get down into the mess in order to find the thing that she loves, and the shepherd is doing the same thing. The shepherd is doing the same thing. He has a hundred sheep, which is a lot of sheep. And he, he probably wasn't tending to all those sheep all by himself. He had a team of shepherds. But in order for him to go and seek after the lost sheep, he has to leave that team of shepherds. He actually has to become vulnerable. He has to walk away from the safety. No one's watching his back. He has to walk, walk away from the safety of all the other shepherds alone into the wilderness to search for this lost sheep. And anything could have happened to him. He could have been attacked by thieves or robbers. He could have been attacked by another wild animal. He could have, um, you know, fallen in a ditch, broken his leg. No one could find. Like, he had to become vulnerable in order to find the thing that he loves. A few chapters after Jesus tells these parables, Luke chapter 19, Jesus says this about himself. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In John's gospel, John chapter 10, Jesus says about himself that he is the good shepherd. And what is he doing there? He's saying, I'm the one. I am the one 
who has come to get down into the mess. I am the one who has come to become vulnerable, to find the ones that I love, to come to where you are in order to rescue you, to bring you home. The Apostle Paul is meditating on this idea in Philippians chapter 2, and he writes this. He writes, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus wasn't just up there. The second person of the Trinity wasn't just up there in heaven like, yeah, y'all are pretty lost. Good luck with that. No, what did he do? Paul says he came down. He came down. He didn't stay far away. And how far down did he come? This is what Paul says. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. In other words, he came down. He took on flesh. He got down on his hands and knees in the dirty, nasty floor, and he became vulnerable. How vulnerable did he become? Paul continues, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He became vulnerable to the worst things that this world can throw at anyone. He was executed unjustly on a Roman cross, suffering the wrath of God for my sin and for your sin. He came all the way down into the mess in order to rescue you and in order to rescue me, to bring us home. That's the pattern. That's the pattern of the gospel, that we are lost, and Jesus comes after us and finds us and brings us home. And that's great news. And it gets even better. That's the pattern. Let's look at the party. Did you notice that these stories don't end after the lost thing gets found. The stories actually could have ended there, right? The lost thing gets found, and then Jesus could have just moved on, but he doesn't move on. What happens? There's a party. Neither story is over until there is a huge celebration. Verse 6, the shepherd comes home. He calls his neighbors and his friends. He's not just celebrating privately, but he calls together the whole community, and he says, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And the woman does the same thing. She finds the coin. She gathers her friends and neighbors. Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Now, why is this so important? Why is it so important for Jesus not to end these stories until there is a party, until there is a celebration. There's a theologian by the name of Dane Ortland, and um, he wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly, which I would highly recommend to you if you've not read it. And he comes at this idea this way. He says, we naturally think of Jesus touching us the way a little boy reaches out to touch a slug for the first time. Face screwed up, cautiously extending an arm, giving a yelp of disgust upon contact, and instantly withdrawing. And this, he says, is why we need a Bible. This is why we need a Bible. Because he says, our natural intuition can only give us a God like us. But Christ does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numbed sufferers. Such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. He cannot bear to hold back. And this is why Jesus will not end these stories until there is a party. 
because he knows that most of us, without realizing it, will let some other voice masquerade as the voice of God. Some of us let our inner voice our inner voice of shame masquerade as the voice of God. So if we are disappointed in ourselves, if we are not living up to our own expectations for ourselves, then we just assume, well, of course, God is also disappointed with me. If we are frustrated and angry with ourselves, then we assume, of course, God is frustrated and angry with me. We let our inner voice, our inner conversation masquerade as the voice of God, or we let some outer voice masquerade as the voice of God. The voice of our parents, that when they are displeased with us, we assume that God must be displeased with us. We let the voice of our bank account masquerade as the voice of God, that when our bank account has run out of money, we assume that God has run out of love for us. We let the voice of some person who has deeply wounded or hurt us masquerade as the voice of God when we are wounded or abused by others, as if our life and our dignity do not matter, we assume that our life and our dignity do not matter to God. And Jesus wants it to be loud and clear. He wants it to be loud and clear. None of those voices are the voice of God. None of those voices are the voice of God. He does not come towards you begrudgingly. He does not come towards you with condemnation. He does not come towards you with disappointment or shame. He has not forgotten about you. He has not abandoned you. He comes after you, and he comes after you full of joy. He comes after you with compassion, eager to throw a party. That is the God of the Bible. That is his heart towards you. About 25 years ago, uh, in China, the son of a man named Guo Gangtang was kidnapped by human traffickers outside their family's home, and their family utterly devastated for obvious reasons. And, and so Guo was so devastated, he decided to dedicate the rest of his life to finding his son. So he printed these huge banners with his son's face and name on them. He strapped them to the back of a motorcycle, and he took off across China. And he put over 300,000 miles on 10 different motorcycles looking for his son. He was in traffic accidents. He broke bones. He was robbed several times. He emptied out his life savings looking for his boy. And in the end, he was sleeping under bridges. He was begging for cash so that he could keep looking. And he did this for 25 years without an ounce of regret. He never looked back. It did not matter how long it took. It did not matter what it cost him. He was going to find his son. He got down into the mess. He put himself at extreme risk, and he found his son. He found his son about six months ago. He was reunited with his son for the first time in almost a quarter century. You can actually go look it up. You can see the video of the moment they were reunited on YouTube. It's this beautiful moment. He sees his son from across the room. He runs to him. He embraces him. And he just begins to sob with joy over his son who was lost and is now found again. And, and this is what he said when they were finally reunited. This is what he said. He said, now that the child has been found, everything can only be happy from now on. 
is full of joy. He's full of joy. And that is the Father's heart towards you in your lostness. Full of joy. Not an ounce of regret or condemnation. Full of joy and eager to throw a party. So, that's the party. We've looked at the pattern. Lastly and briefly, what is the point? What is the point of all of this? I want to go back to the poem that we started with, to that that insecure 12-year-old boy floating in the pool, that feeling that all of us have from time to time of being exposed as not enough. As much as we want to avoid those moments, they are not a curse to be avoided. They're actually a gift to be embraced. Because at least two things are happening in those moments. And this is why, by the way, Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 12 that he will boast in his weaknesses because at least two things are happening in those moments. The first is that God is lovingly introducing us to ourselves. He's lovingly introducing us to ourselves, to our weaknesses, to our limitations, to our sin, to the ugliness that lurks in our hearts and in our lives. But the second thing, and this is the more important one, he's lovingly introducing us to himself. To himself. To his joy over us. How how his heart is kind and gracious to us in our places of deepest struggle. And what these parables are saying is that the place of humiliation, the place of your darkest and ugliest offenses, it is precisely that place that Jesus has crawled through the mess of life and death and resurrection to get to you. Like, it's that place that he crawled through to get to. Not to the you that's put together, but to the you that's actually a mess. And, And it's there, in that place of ugliness, that he meets you with a joyful feast of forgiveness and grace. We're going to partake of that feast in just a few minutes. It is there that he meets you with a joyful feast of forgiveness and grace. As we close, I just want to take our mind's eye to one more scene from the life and the ministry of Jesus. It happens in John chapter 4, where Jesus encounters a woman alone at a well in the middle of the day. It's the hottest part of the day, and she is there alone because she can't go to the well. It's customary for the women of the town to go to the well together as a group. It's safer, and they go to go travel together, but they also go in the morning and the evening when it's cooler. But she is not able to go with the other women of the town. They have shunned her. They have cast her out because she has had so many relationships with other men in the village. So she's alone at the well in the middle of the day. And Jesus knows that she's alone, and and he knows why she is alone, that she's been cast out because of her promiscuity. And they end up having a conversation about this, which is pretty remarkable. Jesus has just met the woman, and they're talking about her place of deepest shame, her deepest humiliation. And something incredible happens. They chat for a little while, and then she walks away, and she goes back into the town completely transformed. She goes back into the town that shunned her, that sent her away and said, we we don't want to have anything to do with you because of the way you've conducted yourself in our midst. And she goes back into that town and she says, I want you to come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. That is remarkable. She goes back into the town and says, listen, I want you to come meet a man who told me I'm worse than I thought. I'm worse than you thought. And he met me right there 
with mercy and grace. This, this is the heart of the Father. Her greatest humiliation was transformed into the occasion for her deepest rejoicing. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to in these two parables. All of our ugliest humiliations, all the ways in which we are lost and not enough, in Christ, they are the doorway to our deepest rejoicing. As he meets us there with his own rejoicing over us. That's good news. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that these two parables are autobiographical. They are telling the story of your dramatic pursuit of us in our lostness. that you got down into the mess, that you became vulnerable even to death to meet us exactly where we are with mercy, with grace, with forgiveness, with new life. We thank you for this. I pray that you would transform us with this good news. Amen.